And welcome to Dungeons and Dax, a podcast where I, Dax Levine, a professional dungeon master, talk to my friends about collaborative storytelling and the awesome, cool things we do. It's my chance to brag about how how awesome my friends are. I'm here with one of my good friends, DM May. Hello, hello. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me on your yeah. inaugural performance. Yes, this is our first performance, and we have two people watching right now. There will be dozens in the future. There will be dozens. But Mick, you and I share a profession. We are both professional dungeon masters. In fact, we work together and we talk to each other at least twice a week about our trials and travails and our triumphs and victories. So we're going to be venturing into that today. Awesome. Uh, before I start asking questions, I'm going to brag about how cool you are a little bit. Okay, go ahead. Fancy, fancy bio that we've got for DM Mick. Mick is a professional stage actor who started running games the same year he started acting, over 30 years ago. Working on the stages of the American theater has provided him with a wealth of understanding of storytelling and humanity, while simultaneously giving him access to tons of colleagues to play games with offstage. The pandemic put a halt on live performance for long enough to give him a chance to become associated with Dax at Dungeon Master Direct. And that brings us to this very conversation. That, mm -hmm. was, that was almost two years ago. That's that right. Started working together. That's right. Uh, so tell, tell us about your career as, as an actor, because I talked to so many people who are like, oh yeah, I was in a play once. I had some right. lines. I was a theater kid in high school or in college. That's, that's what I say. I was, you know, right. I did this in college. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, did a lot of improv, but you, you're a professional. What does that mean? I am. I am. Well, there, what it means to be a professional is that I pay my mortgage by being an actor on stage. That's, <laughs> that's essentially what it means. But how I got to okay. be there is a lot of work and a lot of trial and a lot of error. And in the American theater, I mean, up until the pandemic, which of course has changed everything. That's the latest bookmark in that story. But before the pandemic, there was a fairly clear route to take. Now with social media and all, it has changed somewhat the progression on how to become a professional performer. But on stage, suffice to say, it means you got to get on stage somehow, which is a whole lot easier for a male-bodied individual than it is for a female-bodied individual. That's pretty standard. It's also I thought it wasn't high school too person of color. Yeah. And thankfully that's changing. That's changing. But the, the number of roles for male bodied individuals is definitely higher than the number of roles for female bodied individuals, just because of classical theater and the number of male roles. Right. So I had a fairly fertile field in which to play. And as long as I was, you know, responsible with my commitments, being on time, not overloading myself, being dependable, those kinds of things were able to keep the door open for me. And then it really became getting education on how to use voice and body and reading, consuming more plays and stories, both classical and modern, and then making those kind of professional, you know, networking kinds of relationships that span, I chose to be in the regions rather than focus on one particular city. You know, you can either live East coast, New York or West coast, LA and New York has got more theater in it than LA. 
but both of those places are popular hubs. And then there's a whole glut of people that kind of bounce around throughout the regions. And that was my particular path to jump around throughout as many different theaters as I could to make a full year, you know? So on that, where have you performed? Well, let's see. I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So a host of theaters in Milwaukee that some of which aren't around anymore, but then some that still are Renaissance Theater Works, American Players Theater in Spring Green, Wisconsin. That's a a big one for me, big coming of age story for me there. Then Artist Repertory Theater in Portland, Oregon, on that side of the map. And then on this side of the map, uh, where I am now, uh, the resident ensemble players at the University of Delaware, which has been my home now for about 12 years. I'm a founding member of that company, which came about with the idea that we would help train graduate students in the acting to receive their MFA. And now we are morphing into hopefully offering a bachelor's of arts at that university. So I teach classes there as well as appear on stage with the company there. And those changes that are coming about there are largely, you know, fueled by the pandemic, but also just mm-hmm. changes in personnel and all of that stuff. Okay. So yeah, it's been, it's been a roller coaster, as anyone in the theater will tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, and really imagine. Yeah. Like in the introduction, you were saying almost as if I wrote it, that it gave me enough time to meet you, this kind of cessation of public performance where all of our performing actually went online, gave me the opportunity, freed up the time because it was less, you know, time intensive, the rehearsals and things to be able to start venturing into professional dungeon mastering, which has been incredibly, incredibly rewarding, just as rewarding as one stage. Yeah. So we actually met during someone else's game. That's right. Somebody's birthday party. Someone's birthday party. They hired me as the dungeon master. And the whole time you were like, how can I do that? What is is the plan? What does this mean? Yeah, you definitely set a bar for me that I did not have both on the electronic medium, but then also as just a storyteller in general. And you, you still do. You, you are a benchmark that I, I aim for, you know? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're top notch. So what was your, what was your plan when you found out I was hiring? To put together a resume, which was something I'd never done before for, for dungeon mastering, you know, what what does a, what does a resume (laughs) for a dungeon master look like? What would you even put down as things Mm -hmm. for the potential hire for a potential employer to consider? And so so that was actually freeing in a way, but then got me to think critically about like, what, what would I consider experience? And I would say to people who are out there trying to think about whether or not they want to be a professional dungeon master. Okay. You love the game and you love playing it. You love running it done. Right. That's all taken care of. That's easy. So that's, that's easy. easy. Everybody, everybody's got that, right? Anybody mm-hmm. who's going to be in front of you asking if you want to play in their game has already got that. So it's this other, th- the other th- questions become a little bit more important. Like, what do you have to say? What with a story, what kinds of stories do you want to tell? Do you have a way of accessing players that you don't know? And how do you, how often do you sit down at the table to play? Can you handle five games a week? Can or more? 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you have that kind of stamina? Do you have that kind of creative stamina? Right. Thanks to, you know, some industry standards that were set. Yeah. During the pandemic, you know, with critical roles, success and all of that, there is kind of an industry standard of four hour sessions. Now that, that seems to be fairly mm -hmm. standard. And I know that at your company, Dax, we've, we're achieving a lot of success with a more two to three hour model being kind of optimal for both people's schedules nowadays, but also for attention span. Because when I run a four hour game and there's an epic combat at the end, sometimes it bleeds into four and a half or five hours. And I have people on the East Coast who need to go to bed. So I've been putting that restraint on myself to try to be more economic with my time and respecting of my, my client's time as well, because yeah. they're not just investing money to play with us, but their time is valuable. Their sleep is valuable. They're sacrificing these things to be with us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Shooting for three hours has been helping me a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And also in, in addition to the, can you handle five day, five games a week? Can you handle prepping for five games a week? Yeah. Five discrete storylines that have players that all have different, you know, needs and requirements. And are they in fact going to be there every time? You know, how committed are they to being at your sessions? Can you dance with their absence? Those are all questions to consider that you might not be thinking about when you're like, oh, I can't wait to, to try this out professionally. You know, can you handle the nuts and bolts of it? Really? The part that starts to drag on you like any career, you know, yeah. there's stuff like that to consider. Now, there's a big difference in playing with friends and, and colleagues. You played with a lot of your acting friends and then playing with complete strangers, strangers who you may right. not have as much in common with. Right. How do you approach a brand new party? Um, you have the, the moment you meet them is the moment you start playing with them. How do you how do you deal with that? Right, right. Well, in the theater, I already have a lot of experience with that. Every new production, the cards are reshuffled and you're sometimes asked to be working very closely with people you perhaps have never met before. And some, some maybe you have, but others that you don't even know. And how do you get to a working relationship with them? And so you have to figure out how to learn very quickly, which requires really present communication. So you have to be able to put your story in the back seat. And a great distinction is that you have the plot, but your players are the story. There is no story without them. They are the main characters and you are providing a framework that showcases them, which was what I always found excellent and still find excellent about your game stacks is that you make, you make those characters the point. And if at any point in the process, you realize, wait, I'm making what I'm, I'm making my ideas more important than their ideas. Let that little flag come up and go, okay, it's time to sl slow down and start listening because players really need to be in some cases kind of massaged into their contributions. Not all players know how to contribute. These are, these are, Inter these are the dynamics of interpersonal communication, which can for a lot of people be very, very different. And so you as the dungeon master have the opportunity and dare I say the responsibility to listen 
to your players and notice when you are overbearing them. Yeah. And sometimes that can be really easy to do. I think and, that's a big distinction between brand new DMs who are so excited and so passionate about it and the ones who have a little bit of mileage behind mm -hmm. them. Because mm -hmm. DMing is a game. Yeah. It's fun, right? We, we're supposed to be having fun with it as well. Yeah. And it's easy to get caught up in all of that fun and building the world and creating a story. A lot of people who want to write books will try out some of their ideas in a D&D campaign to sure. mixed success. <laughs> right, um, right, right. But yes. it's, it isn't until a DM can really take that backseat and say, hey, I'm going to be, I'm not going for my Oscar winning role right here. I'm not putting on a one man show. I don't want everyone to look at me. I want to be the supporting characters, mm -hmm. want to lift the players up. That's when you start to see someone's DMing style transform into something truly immersive, truly collaborative. Um, and players who may not be confident or outgoing can, can really surprise you when you give them that help and that support that yeah. they need. And, and I love everything you're saying about you know, creating this environment for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, to circle back that. to that, that whole, what do you put on a resume? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> do you have experience with playing or running for game, running games for people who you don't know? Do you mm -hmm. have experience even playing in games with people that you don't know? So if there's a local gaming store in your town, fortunate enough to have a brick and mortar shop that has a game, you know, like has tables in the back. Have you been there? Have you been in those games where you don't know these people? All the only way you know them is through this game. Have you ever tried that? Because I highly recommend it if you haven't yet. And that will give you an indication as, oh, is this something that I enjoy doing? Really? Do I like people? Yes. Hmm. Do I like people? <laughs> that is important. If you don't like people and you like elves better than people, then perhaps this is something you need to dance with a little bit longer before you pull yeah. that trigger on becoming a professional. Because you, to be really successful at this, and when I say successful, the metric is do your players have fun? You need to be able to make that space for them to have that fun. It can't be all about you. Mustn't be all about you. That is a recipe for boredom for those yep. poor people. They'll just sit back there and wait for you to tell them when to roll. And that's, you know, that's, that's death. So I've yeah. talked to a lot of teachers and people with customer service experience handles. If you're looking to be a pro DM and you have experience with customer service or uh, onboarding, corporate training, teaching. Oh my gosh, teachers do so much work. Like that's valuable experience. And on the other hand, if you want to be a teacher or someone who does customer service or someone who does corporate training, your experience as a dungeon master should go on your resume. Yeah. It is becoming a more sought after skill. More people are talking about it. More people are familiar with it. I've done corporate games for Fortune 500 tech companies, and mm -hmm. I teach team building principles baked into the game, and you know, so they can go to their boss and be like, "Hey, yeah, we talked about this and this and these principles, but yeah. really, we were just fighting monsters and role playing." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's astonishing how often our company gets contacted with those those offers from the corporate clients who are like, "We're looking for some team building exercise. We think this might fit our." our bill can't you have anything to offer on that in that regard and we certainly do you know, 
Absolutely. We blow uh, them away and they keep coming back and they keep referring more people to us. Yeah. 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 Another thing that's on the rise now that I've noticed, which wasn't so certainly when I was kind of falling in love with this game, is the number of families who play. I did huh, not yeah. start playing this game with my family, but there are families who definitely are interested in having a dungeon master run the game for them. They mm -hmm. love it. it. It gives them an opportunity to break down that family hierarchy so that dad or mom or whoever is not controlling the game. It is this other person. And then everybody gets to play together. And that's a real evening of the playing field for a family. So that's that's another place that I would suggest looking at. Do you have experience dealing with families on their terms, you know, family units and something we didn't talk about in my past experience because it was my job before acting was that I was a clown. I was, I was hoping you I would bring that up. I didn't want to throw you under the bus and bring it up first, but I'm so happy <laughs> it's going this direction. <laughs> Like it's shameful, my shameful past as a clown. <laughs> I worked for, we were called Just Clowning Around and then wisely changed our name to the Children's Entertainment Company, which sounds much more <laughs> reputable. Man, man. Right. <laughs> but that gave me experience working with families. When you get invited into a house to do the child's birthday party, you know, that is something where you're talking, where you're not just entertaining the child, you're entertaining mom and dad as well. And as a dungeon master now, who is doing the same thing, meaning entertaining the family unit, not being a clown, although there's some clowning, it's not magic shows and balloon animals and face paints. It's, you know, <laughs> roll a persuasion check. It. It requires the same skill set I'm discovering, meaning you have to keep the plate spinning of the story. You have to keep the plate spinning of keeping the child or the kids engaged, and they can be of any age. You know, usually they're getting started around. You don't see families much younger than eight. You know, that's, that's about when the kids are getting interested and can sit for more than an hour. And then like up to teenagers. And then the parents, can you keep the plate spinning of keeping the parents engaged as well and have them actually genuinely interact in the experience rather than just interacting, uh, you know, with their child, like, come on, Tommy, go ahead and, and roll the die. You know, you want the, you want the parents to ideally also be interested in playing their character as well. You want everybody at the table invested <laughs> in their own interface with the game rather than you know, well, I'm just here for the kids, you know, it'd be, it, it, the best, the best sessions are when mom, dad, and kids all remember it. Like they all triumphed over Vecna, you know, they all mm -hmm. beat the dragon together. That is, that is gold. That is a family memory that they will have forever. And yeah, they will lay down, you know, that, that you'll get hired for that, that, that will keep them coming back to you as a professional. And that's, I mean, you can't, you can't get better than that. If you can imagine having some experience like that with your own family, how great that would be, Yeah, you know, so families, strangers, and then of course, friends, do you have more than one group that you run with. If you're, a, if you're contemplating being a professional, you might want to diversify 
into having try it, you know, before you're, before you're interested in pulling the trigger on being a professional or putting your, you know, getting your website together, or as you're putting your resume together, can you run multiple games, even with friends, you know, in one week, can you do three different groups? That might be a good stress test for you. Do you have the endurance? Do you have the capacity? Do you have the time to devote? preparation that you need right it's tough when i first started dming i would dm a game on a weekend and then just be exhausted for the rest of the week because i am an introvert that's my that's my secret that i've been hiding from the world i am such an introvert but i have an extrovert skill set i can i can turn it on and i can be entertaining but it it was a struggle i started Mm. how did you two games a week to three games a week i just it was like training for a marathon. Uh-huh. It really was. And required and was, a lot of naps during the day. And yeah. Great. Covering. And, you know, I've, I've, and I've got a great support system at home. Now, now I can do these games in my sleep. I don't, but I could. Uh, and you've got two young kids too. Yes. Oh, they are so little. And oh, my, my son, he knows what I, what I do. He's three, three and a half. And mm-hmm. just the other day, he, it wasn't bedtime yet, but he ran into my office because he knows I have dragons on my bookshelves and he just <laughs> runs in and starts yelling. And he, he knows that daddy plays Dungeons and Dragons. That's his job. Right. Just last night, I, I kissed him goodnight. We were, I just finished dinner. I was going down to do a game. Mom was going to put him to bed and I started walking downstairs without him. He got really upset because he wanted to walk me to work because uh-huh. that's like this little ritual that we've created where. We come into work. I sat down and he's like, lights, lights. Can we, can we have the lights? Cause he knows I have these cool lights. So I let him pick the colors for the lights for that game. Wow. He wanted blue and pink for the lights. And so that's, that's what I had, but yeah, he knows what I'm doing. He knows he shouldn't be in there interrupting me while I'm gaming. Luckily my office is on a different floor than where he normally hangs out, but mm-hmm. yeah. It's been, it's been super fun. I started the business when he was six months old. Mm. So that's, that's all he's ever known is me that, having this job. That brings up a good point too, about making sure you're allocating your space appropriately. Mm-hmm. And do you have a discrete space in your home that you can mm-hmm. allocate to running a game for four hours that the rest of the family, if you have one, doesn't blunder into, or the vacuum cleaners going in the background, you know, that's. So let's talk about your setup and your family situation. Sure. Sure. Well, this is this, I have a split level house, so that's why there's windows that are that big. So I'm in the lower level and this part, you know, the, the shelving unit behind me kind of divides it into one half. I also have a built-in like bar in my basement, which I've commandeered as my sort of gaming table. Okay. I used, used to run games at it when, you know, I would have people over to the house now, primarily the modality. In the before times. Online. Yeah. In the before times. Right. <laughs> right. Before the big booms, this was uh, a, a, my favorite spot to run a game because, you know, the dice work well on it. We have the kitchen table upstairs. The family has the rest of the other levels. You know, they can hang out there. Probably hear occasionally sound filters down the stairs. My microphone's pretty sensitive for this event, but that's, it will, you know, you have sound pollution issues. Is the lighting good enough to last mm-hmm. for the entirety? You know, sometimes you're going from afternoon into evening that that kind of thing. I got desk lamps, all sorts of 
stuff ready to go in case it, it runs long, you know, or depending on what time, like, so tonight I'm running from seven till 11. So it's going to start just as at sunset and then it's going to be pitch Perfect. black. So I got to have the, you know, the lights come up and, and my, I only have one child who's 12. So that's, that's, I don't have kids running everywhere, but yes, like, <laughs> like you, they are definitely aware of what I do. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's fun to have another, you know, young person to kind of see it reflected in their interest and their curiosity. And I'm like, what do mm -hmm. you do? And then we play games, of course, as a family too, which I yeah. never played with my, with my family. So seeing what kind of characters they want to play, both my wife and my child, you know, which ones, which, how do they like to organize their characters? My kid likes drawing as well. So that that's fun mm -hmm. to see them make those characters Super come alive. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to use some of their artwork in games. So. Yeah. As far as, as that goes, do you have the setup for that? You know, if you're contemplating being a professional, do you have yeah. a, a setup like that? Or are you primarily going to be interested in going to people's homes, you know, or being at a space, maybe like we were talking about earlier, there is some sort of brick and mortar spot that has mm -hmm. gaming tables where they'd be willing to let you run your games there they might and that's an option these totally days option, yeah. when, when mm -hmm. i started the business it was january 2020 and i was thinking about this hybrid model where i did part of my stuff online part of my stuff in person because mm -hmm. i was familiar with both when i graduated college my friends and i moved all to different states so we'd been using these digital tools before they were cool mm -hmm. and well <laughs> before the pandemic but as soon as the pandemic hit and i had the business ready to go I had to pivot all of my plans to just focus on the online. Yeah. Of it. And there's a lot of digital assets out there that are really great, really, really great. But also you're going to need to start kind of framing up acquiring those assets. And are you capable of investing the initial outlay of capital to be able to get those digital assets yeah. ready to go? You got to think of it like a, you know, like an interactive PowerPoint presentation and you want to become proficient or familiar with the tools that are on some of these free websites, these VTTs like Foundry or like Roll20, which is predominantly what I use, Roll20. And you've got to make it look effortless. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just like any, you know, public speaker, you don't want them fumbling through their notes while they're talking to you. You don't want endless sort of like scrolling and looking and then moving and manipulating of things. And then like, okay, go ahead and roll. You know, you, you want it to be seamless. You want the art to show up on their screens on cue. You want, if you use music, you want to make sure that that's happening when you want it to happen. And these things all go into that, you know, that prep time, which if you're thinking about, okay, I got four, a four hours, a four hour game that even, even four hours, that's easy. A four hour work day. It's like, well, remember nope. <laughs> perhaps two hours of prep and yeah. inclusive in that two hours comes, you know, a recap for the next session that you might want to have prepared. And I, however you want to write that down, how, however you have that available to them. You know, you want to make sure that that's updated. You want to have, like we say, the next set of maps and tokens populated on that map. And that all takes 
time. It just takes time. Now, yeah. of course, you'll get better at it. You'll get more swish at putting the stuff out there, but it still takes time. And do you have that skill set yet? Or do you need to acquire it? Like when I started working with you, I needed to acquire it. I didn't have it to go right off the bat. And wish I had. Wish I had. I had some familiarity, enough so I was conversant, but I didn't have enough to be running at the level that I wanted to be. So these are all things that before you are, before you are asking for their money, <laughs> you might want to be putting in the time to familiarize yourself with all of that stuff. And that's what's great about it is that it's, it's free to get the education. Uh, there's lots of tutorials and things when it comes down to that goes into it. Yeah. When it comes down to the actual assets, that's where you're going to be outlaying some money. And I know Udax, how, how long before you started actually making some money at this to, to um, go for you? So I was very thrifty at the beginning. I started this business with $200 that I got from my Costco rewards for the years. I'm like, Hey, 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 honey. This is, this is what I've got. I'm putting this into the business. This is what I'm going to use for the business license and getting the bank account set up and, you know, buying the assets that I needed. I had a lot of assets already. I was already a collector of books. I had already played on these virtual tabletops. First time I ran a campaign in Roll20, all my friends, I wasn't getting paid for it, but we all pitched in to buy the books that I needed. And That's I pretty common. D&D Beyond. Yeah. And so the first game that I ran... I was using books that I had already run with friends previously because mm -hmm. I didn't want to invest too much upfront because uh, there is this mindset when starting a new business that if you have a problem, just throw money at it and it'll go away. And that is not true. You will run your business into the ground if you just try to solve all of your problems with money. But if you give yourself a budget and I you get to work within those constraints, you get to be a little bit more flexible. I looked at what resources do I already have? What resources do I need next? And what order of priority are there? Are they? That's great. That's smart. And so I knew I wanted music, but I didn't want to, I needed to find some sort of streaming service because I didn't have the time to go out and pick every single song. So I was relying on other resources that I found online to help find entire playlists that I use. Instead of buying individual maps, I would buy them in packs. I would find ways to subscribe on Patreon. I would find free versions, trial versions, and eventually would upgrade to the you know more premium versions as I could afford it. But I think having that $200 at the beginning, that's all I needed. If I would have had $1,000 to start it, I probably would have blown a lot of money on things I didn't need, and it wouldn't have improved the quality of the game. <laughs> but I would prioritize what do we absolutely need and what would be nice to have. Right now, you see these bookshelves, you see these cool lights over there. You know, I can change them. I can change the colors. You know, this is cool, but that wasn't necessary. That's not what I had when I started. Mm. I was in our spare bedroom. There was a big pile of boxes behind me, and I put a folding screen in front of those boxes, and I put books up on that screen, and, it, and I had fake candles, and that <laughs> was it. That was my, that was my immersive setup. <laughs> and I started running games like that. I was still working another day job at the time. Critical. Yeah, I didn't. And then I made certain goals on I'm going to run one game a week. I'm going to run two games a week. It wasn't until I was running about three or four games a week that I realized 
I could replace the income that I had at my other job if I quit and started doing being full time. Mm-hmm. And so that, and I didn't even start paying myself until I had already quit my other job. There you go. Yeah. That's, that's, so that was like six point. months of not taking any money from it. Money was coming in slowly. It was trickling in, but yeah, I invested a lot of time. And then by that summer, it was summer of 2020. It was a great time to be a pro DM. Mm-hmm. I had enough regular clients and mm-hmm. to create a recurring income. And that was, that was the goal that I had to give to my wife. Right. So um, just, a- we had, we had a six month old, like I can't just quit my d- job and pursue the dream. That's right. I had to break it down into smaller tasks. That's right. So yeah. tracking that to, to, to picking that stitching out of the throw pillow there, y'all. That's uh, <laughs> that that young person that he was just mentioning there. That's the one that's walking him to work now. And mm-hmm. the 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 six months that he went without paying himself is something that y'all need to keep in mind too. Yeah. And we on this broadcast are representing two distinctly different paths. Dax started this gig and built it from the ground up, which requires a whole bunch of steps that have nothing to do with running a Dungeons and Dragons game. They have to do. (laughs) Gotta use that MBA of mine somehow, right? There you go. There you go. And the other guy on this call, this little duck here is the one who got hired by the one who started the company. And that is a different boat to be in. And that means, you know, that's a W-2 and that's, that's a resume and that's getting hired, which you have to decide which one of these guys are you interested in being? Which of these humans has the story that you want yours to be more like? Are you interested in, do you want this to be your sole means of income? That puts you in Dax's camp. If this is something supplemental for you, then you're in the DMic camp because I still make my living predominantly by being on stage and by teaching some classes in academia. That's how I pay for my house predominantly. Yeah. And then I run games to supplement that income to make things work much better in my life. That's what that's for for me. So you have to figure out where you, which, you know, boat you're in. And then there's a bunch of different directions. Once you make that major decision, I would say, um, are you and applying? I don't want to downplay the amount of work you put into just getting hired in the first place. Yeah. Fair um, enough. Hundreds fair enough. and hundreds of people applied when I brought you in, Marianne. I had the application open for about two days and I was just, my inbox was absolutely flooded. It was overwhelming parsing through everybody. And yeah. so I was looking for very specific things mm-hmm. and you stood out. You really stood out. You had this incredible skill set, this incredible way of being in your voice and the way you approached it like an actor and professionalism as an actor. And I, I listened to you and I thought, I want to learn from me. I don't, I don't want to bring someone in, you know, it's fun mentoring people and seeing them grow. I mean, that's fun. There's value that comes out of that. But I saw you and I'm like, I want to learn as much as I can from me. Maybe, you know, maybe something that I have will rub off on him too. But I think in the last few years, we've both gotten so much better at our craft and at our skill set. So yes, there is a path where you, you get hired by somebody and it's already, you get to skip some of the business and administrative steps. But 
you were ready to take that step because you were so competitive compared to other candidates. You had such an incredible skill set, so many years of experience, and can back it up and it shows in mm-hmm. the way you well, win your games. Yeah, thank you for that acknowledgement. I totally get that. And the the that goes to the first part of our conversation on what what makes a compelling resume, right? And since a lot of, I think a lot of people out there who might be listening to this in search of tips on how to become a professional dungeon master can definitely take that to heart. They need to understand what makes them compelling as a person. Are they a joy to be around? And as a professional stage actor, I'd kind of gotten used to the idea that people are laying down money to buy a ticket to be in my presence. And that's, that's not an egotistical statement. That's just the fact they're trying to see a show that I am going to be up there performing. Now, if I'm successful at it, it's because I'm giving them the space to have a great time living in their own humanity. Yeah. They're not up there watching me be great. They're up there having a great time being a human being. That's what they're in the audience doing. And if you think about it, that's what we're in the audience doing. You know, my students, I, I use Beyonce as a, as an example, because Beyonce is fierce, right? But she's not famous. We don't all know who she is because she's fierce. There's plenty of fierce people out there. We know who mm-hmm. she is because we all fear, feel fierce when we listen to her. That's what makes Beyonce great. That's why we all know who she is. That's why she's world famous because no matter who you are, you listen to her music and you're like, yeah. And that is what we are trying to give them as dungeon masters. We're trying to give our players the opportunity to be epic heroes. And we all have tons of stories where that just didn't happen, but we do have stories too, where (laughs) it did. And whoa, they get so close to death and then they turn it around at the last second. Yes. Yes. Love that feeling. Mm -hmm. Yes. We also have a lot of stories where the the heroes, quote unquote, are probably the villains, if you look at it from a certain angle. But we have great stories where they are the epic saviors of the realm or the universe or the multiverse or whatever it is that your story treats on. So that's, that's arguably what theater gave me. And that's the thing that I brought to the table alongside the punctuality, the professional, the easy things, you know, the stuff that makes you a good professional to work with. That's all that together is what Dax is pointing at when he's acknowledging me for what it took to get the job. Also, you'll notice that he said he had that, that, you know, open application process you know he's like put out the call for resumes and they came flooding in and now remember like we said way at the beginning of this absolutely every single one of those applications were put forth by someone who loved the game enjoyed playing it and would like to run it for other people that's a given so you need to find what else you've got to bring to the table and that's whether or not you want to be in my shoes or in Dax's shoes, meaning you either want to be hired or you want to be doing the hiring. Those, those things, those questions need to be answered for both paths in this career. Absolutely. And they are both hard. They're both hard. Yeah. 
very, very hard. Yeah, they don't happen um, overnight either. No, 10-year overnight success <laughs> is what I see thrown around a lot. But yeah, for me, it was 10 years of playing the game and being in theater and teaching improv and working customer service. I was a, a tour guide in Hawaii. I would do zipline tours with people, and I had to learn how I have three hours to lead people through through this forest, zipping from from hill to hill. How do I get to know them? How do I make them laugh? How do I help them overcome their fears? How can I give them this powerful, emotional, transformative experience? That job as a tour guide prepared me for being a professional DM because <laughs> that's what I do every day now. Yeah, that's right. Helping people confront their fears and be yeah. epic, be great. That's um, right. That's that's great. Zip lining, a zip lining yep. tour guide. Yeah, that's such a cool job. Such <laughs> a cool. It was the second coolest job I've ever had. Oh, there you uh, go. There you <laughs> go. Yeah, yeah. I we were talking to in our weekly meeting. We were talking to Beth, and she was saying that based on the examination of the data on on the hits on our website, what it is that people are searching for. You know, higher DM that she would judge a lot of those hits are coming from people who are looking to be hired. So we know that there's a lot, or we at least theorize that there's a glut of people that are very interested in becoming a professional dungeon master. But how do you even know whether or not you'd make a good one? And how do you then go after becoming one? Those are things that we think have a lot, you know, that's a hot button. That's a lot. A lot of people are interested in the answer to that question. And just like anything, you, there are the, the paths of either you make it up as you go along, or you find someone who already did it and you ask them to, to hold your hand while you're, <laughs> while you're going through it, you know, those and making sure are, it's make sure it's worth their time as well. Yeah. 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 How do you become an asset for wherever mm -hmm. you are working? That's, that's another thing. So. For the would-be dungeon masters out there, that is, I'd say, a, a big thing to consider and answer for yourself is what, not just what do I have to say as a storyteller, but what makes me, I don't know, what makes me think I can or why, what is my actual skill set? You know, can I enunciate what I'm good at? And in our culture, we don't have a lot of tread on that road because it sounds egotistical or arrogant to start thinking along those lines. I may even sound arrogant when I'm talking about it, but I'm, what I'm trying to counsel you to do is take a look at an objective look at yourself as best you can and figure out what it is that you can authentically say is a strong suit of yours. I, I can talk or, you know, like Dax says, I unabashedly, I, I'm an introvert, but that's a strength. You see, that's something that's remarkable about him. Not that there aren't other introverts, but I mean, like that he knows he is one and can dance with that, and then moreover developed a skill set that compensates for that, that bridges that gap to other people, because you can't do this alone, right? <laughs> you have to be, you have to have a sincere love for other people and for humanity, even though it's all about dragonborn and and orcs and, and halflings and gnomes and things. And, you know, like Warforged, how great are they? You know, you gotta also love, those are all right. We love Warforged. That is all, those are all expansions on the theme of what it means to be human. And if you don't have a love for that, I mean, since I do, I don't, I don't know what, you, what I don't know who I would be without it. So I don't know what it, it, there must be great dungeon masters out there who are like, 
humans, I could take them or leave them. But <laughs> I would recommend if you want to be a professional dungeon master that you at least cultivate some interest in humans. Yeah. And again, dungeon master is kind of a misnomer because even though we are in charge, we're servants at the table. We're there to build everybody else up. We do this work and this preparation so that other people don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. We're the servants. We're the dungeon servants. That's what we are. Yeah. A lot of contracts come our way because of groups that are established, longtime groups that love playing with each other that are like, we never, there's always one person running it and we never all get to actually Mm -hmm. play together. We don't all get to be players at the same table. Can you guys run us through a game? And that gives them the opportunity to, to do that, to all be players at the same time. Those are fun groups too. Mm-hmm. Got a couple of those. A couple of right. One of those tonight, uh, in fact. Okay. Well, good luck with that game. I've also got a game tonight. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll bring someone back from the dead tonight. Maybe not. Maybe I'll just kill more. Maybe I'll bring back one and kill two in its place. Yeah. Um, that's a whole nother broadcast when to kill and when <laughs> whole not to kill. Yeah. Oh, I could talk for hours about oh, sure. killing. Sure. Killing player characters is easy. That's easy. Anyone can do that. Anyone can. How do you get close to death and let dance on that line? That that's where I live. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you, Mick, for taking time out of your day to being our first guest on Absolutely. the Dungeons and Dax podcast. Mm-hmm. The question that we posited was to be or not to be the dungeon master. What is your answer? To be dungeon master. I, I, I say be the dungeon master. That's my advice. All right. Well, tune in next time and have a great week, everybody.